thankful for the word tonight. Amen. Can we just bless him for that? The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And if it wasn't for that word, we wouldn't be here this evening. Amen. How many of you are ready to receive the word? Amen. The written word and the spirit word this evening. I thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. Uh, for those of you who have not been aware, haven't seen any of the ads, uh, tonight I am beginning our new series taken from Nehemiah chapter 3, entitled Rebuilding the Gates, A Journey in Spiritual Restoration. But before we go to the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. ask that He anoint me and anoint you as well. Amen. Father God, we just thank You for the Word. We thank You for Your precious gift of Your Son who came into this world to set us free. We thank you that we can claim that freedom this evening. But God, we ask that you would truly give us that freedom this evening by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon me, that I would be free to preach your word without any hindrance, without any opposition, without any confusion, without any fear. I pray, Father God, that your people would have that same anointing upon them, that they might receive the word with gladness and with great joy, that it would be able to penetrate, Father God, into the soil of their soul, that it would take root, Father God, and that it would bear fruit in their lives and fruit that would last, fruit that would not only benefit them, but fruit that would be able to change this world. And we thank you for that anointing. We pray that you would just settle our souls, settle our hearts, open up our ears that we might receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, like I said, we're going to begin our series on rebuilding the gates. It is a journey of spiritual restoration. And over the next several weeks, I'm not sure how many weeks it'll be, but we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 3 and the rebuilding of the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem that were in ruin during the time of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at how the rebuilding of these gates apply to our own personal lives. I don't want to be too teachy. I don't want to be too theological. I don't want to lose you or be boring. There's a lot of stuff I'm going to overlook just so we can uh, get through it because it's not a it's not a Bible study type of series that I'm going to bring you, uh, but more just a a course of action that we have to take in our Christian lives in order to experience the things God wants us to. But when we look at Nehemiah through spiritual eyes. Uh, not our natural eyes, because whatever takes place in the natural, there's always a spiritual parallel, amen? So whatever you see taking place in your life and whatever natural events we see occurring in Scripture, there's a spiritual parallel that we need to be aware of. But when we look at Nehemiah through spiritual eyes, not just the man, but the Word, when we look at that, the rebuilding of the gates of the city... Uh, represent a picture of the proper spiritual development that we are to go through as a believer. It, it reminds us how we are to live our lives as Christians, and it reminds us of the process that we all have to go through in order to overcome the effects of sin in our lives and how to uh, live spiritually uh, successfully, how we can experience spiritual security and safety in our lives. How many of you want spiritual safety? How many of you want spiritual security and protection from the enemy? Well, Nehemiah paints a great picture of how we can experience that in our lives. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to examine what each gate represents, what each gate means, even the name of them, the order of them. And when we begin to apply the principles that we're going to learn from this series in our lives, it'll enable us to live more successfully for Christ. It'll enable us to be more profitable to the kingdom. It'll enable us to be uh, more of a reflection of Jesus Christ. 
But here's one of the key points that I want you to understand. It's those who apply these truths will benefit from them. Those who actually become doers of the word and not just hearers only, they will benefit from the words that they hear. You see, it's not much of a benefit just to listen. It becomes a benefit when you take the words that God speaks into your life and you begin to plant them in your life and you begin to bear fruit and you begin to do what God tells you to do. So that's what we need to understand. When we practice what is preached, we benefit from what is preached. Amen. So that's what we need to understand, because I can't stress enough that hearing the word of God alone isn't enough. Listening to this series, sitting through all, let's say it's 10 uh, series, 10, 10 weeks, sitting through all 10 weeks isn't going to be enough for you. And it's not going to be enough for me taking notes, even though it's good. And I encourage you to do it. It won't be enough. It's taking what is on the page and applying it to your life and applying it to my life where we will get the fullest benefit from the word. So here's what we need to understand without becoming doers of the word, without taking it upon ourselves to build our faith and and build our relationship with God. Our lives are going to be in ruin just like the lives of of the Jewish people here in this series that I'm going to teach you. You see, what we need to realize, if 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 all the people did back then in the series that I'm going to uh, bring to you, if all they did was talk about rebuilding the walls, if all they did was talk about rebuilding the gates, if all they did was talk about the things they need to do and didn't do it, their lives would have remained in ruin. Their lives would have not been successful. Their lives would have not been safe or secure in in the Lord. And the same goes for us. We've got to apply what we learn. So the question is, how many of us are ready to build? How many of us are actually willing to say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to practice what is preached to me and to put into practice in my lives, the things that are learned. Here's what we need to understand. Look at it again later in detail. But what we have to know before we go through this series is that some individuals, when God spoke to his people and the rebuilding process began, the restoration and the spiritual restoration began to take place. Some, uh, some worked and some didn't. Some actually got their hands dirty and some refused. Some were willing to work and some refused to work. Some were willing to have a part in the restructuring and the rebuilding and some refused. So we all have to ask ourselves, look, God doesn't force any of this upon any of us. We willingly have to choose to work. We willingly have to to choose to put into practice the things that we are going to learn. But over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is look at the rebuilding of the walls and rebuilding of the gates. Like I said, I don't want to be too teachy, but I need to bring you some history first. I need you to bring you some history uh, concerning the story of Nehemiah. I need to bring you some history that helps develop this series that we're going to go through so you can get a better idea of, of what truly was taking place. And you got to get a better understanding of how to be able to identify with what God was saying. So This is where we're going to start with a little bit of history. Uh, The book of Nehemiah transports us back about 150 years uh, to a specific and a critical time in the in the uh, history of the Jewish people. 
at this time, it was not called Israel. At this time, the people of, of Israel were the people of Judah. They were the Jewish people. They were not yet established as a, as a nation. They were not yet called Israel. So whenever we talk about the Jewish people in this series, we're talking about Judah. We're talking about the Jewish people who I'll, I may, uh, from time to time, you might hear me say the children of Israel because that's who they are today. But at this point, they were the, they were the nation of Judah. And what we, what we discover is that 150 years before the events that Nehemiah records, before any of the events that you, that we're going to look at in Nehemiah 1, 2, and 3, 150 years prior to what is recorded in scripture, the Babylonians under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, and you should all know King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a guy that put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He was a crazy king. He was the kind of king that if you didn't listen to him, he'd chop you up into a bunch of little pieces and he'd throw you in a dung heap or is a kind of king that would put you in a, a fiery furnace. But under his rule, 150 years before we read or, or these items are recorded, King Nebuchadnezzar crushed the small little uh, nation of Judah. Uh, they were a troublesome to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. They were a thorn in his flesh. They were a constant... Uh, uh, thorn in his flesh. They were a constant bother to him. And as long as he could, as long as King Nebuchadnezzar was in rule, he tried time and time again to just crush uh, the Jewish people. And you'll find all throughout history, there's always someone that has risen up to try to crush uh, Israel, try to crush the Jewish people. Today, you can look at the same thing. Modern day Babylon today is Iran. Iran is doing the same thing today. If that guy, Ahmadinejad, uh, who's called himself a King Nebuchadnezzar, if it was up to him, he would crush Israel today. If it was up to him, he would do away and he's trying to do everything that he can. You know, as well as I do, that he's trying to create nuclear weapons, that whole thing. And I don't want to go too much into that kind of stuff, but I want you to know that that back then, the same thing was happening as today. And King Nebuchadnezzar had the opportunity to crush the Jewish people. And he did that very thing. And he, he carried them away into bondage in Babylon. And the ones that he didn't bring into bondage, the Bible tells us that he killed them. So this is what was going on. The Jews actually became slaves once again. If you know the history of, of the Jewish people at this point, they were already in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. They were already in bondage and enslaved to Pharaoh. God brings them out. And then all of a sudden, later in their uh, history, we discover that once again, they become slaves to Babylon. They become slaves to, to a wicked ruler. And before I go any further, what we need to know uh, about the Jewish people, or Judah in this case, is that they were taken captive because of their disobedience to God. That's the first thing that we need to learn about this series is the fact that they were not taken into captivity because Babylon was a greater nation than they were and they could just exercise their authority because Babylon tried time and time again to crush this little nation and they had no success. We need to realize that they weren't taken into captivity because the odds were so great against them. And the reality is the, the Babylonians had much more warriors. They had a greater army and and they, they could, if God would allow it, 
to crush uh, the children of, of Israel or the, the Jewish people at any time. But that's not why they were taken into bondage. They weren't taken into bondage because God wasn't able to protect them. They weren't taken into bondage because God just forgot about his people and just let the enemy come in. The reason that they were taken into captivity, the reason that they were made slaves, the reason that they were taken into bondage was because of their disobedience to God. It was because of the sin that they allowed to come into their lives And what we need to understand and remember is that sin leads to bondage. Sin leads to slavery. Sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to devastation. And it was sin and no other reason that these individuals were taken into bondage. No other reason other than their sin and their disobedience to God that they were brought into slavery and into bondage. The fact is, due to Judah's constant rejection of God's laws... And here's what I mean by rejection. When God speaks something to you and you don't do it, it's rejecting God. When when you open up the word of God and it tells you how to live and it tells me how to live and I don't do what it says, I'm rejecting God's laws. When, When I don't recognize God as the ultimate authority in my life, when I don't recognize and receive his word as the ultimate authority in my life, guess what I'm doing? I am rejecting God and I am rejecting his word and I am living in rebellion to who he is and what he is. And this is what was happening with the Jewish people. They were in constant rejection to God's laws. He would bring individuals into their life and they would speak the word or they would speak the law and they were constantly being turned away from God to do their own thing. We see the same exact thing happening today. So many people, even in the house of God, doing what's right in their own eyes instead of what is right in the, uh, in the eyes of God. And when that happens in our life, we are rejecting God. So we need to be very careful that when God speaks to us, we need to listen to God. When God moves upon our heart and moves upon our spirit and he speaks something into our soul, we've got to be real careful to listen to him or we're going to end up in a place that we don't want to be. And it's not because God hates us, and and I'll teach you that as we go. God didn't bring these individuals into bondage because he hated them. He loved them. They were his people. They were a royal people. They were a holy nation. He loved them. But he brought them into bondage to teach them a lesson. He brought them into bondage and allowed them to go into bondage so their hearts might be turned back to him. And he, he allows the same thing to happen in our lives. But whenever we wander from God, church... Whenever we begin to worship the gods of this world, whenever we begin to be influenced by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, whenever our priorities are out of whack, whenever this world holds more affection in our lives than God does, guess what God does? He lets some things happen in our life. He allows us to become bound up. He allows some difficulty to come our way. He allows some of these things to take place in our life for one reason reason only. It is so that we might be restored back to a right relationship with God. You see, we've got to remember that God is a jealous God. We've got to remember that God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what happened with the, the, the Jewish people, what happened with Judah is they were allowing their priorities to get messed up. They were allowing the things of this world to take priority and precedence over God. And the only thing God could do was to put them into a place where they could think about what they did, purge them from their sin, purge them from their disobedience, put them through the fire. How many of you know that fire 
purifies us. How many of you know that the flood washes us clean? Sometimes God squeezes us. Sometimes God puts us in the heat. Sometimes he allows these things to happen in our lives so that we might become more like him. And this is what was happening in this uh, passage of scripture, this, this time in, among the Jewish people. Because God is a jealous God and he tried to bring them back to him. The other thing that we need to understand before I even get into the series is that Jeremiah had prophesied to the people. Jeremiah had prophesied to the Jewish people over 150 years before Nehemiah even wrote these words that unless they turned from their ways, that unless they turned their heart back to God, unless they stopped all of their idol worship, unless they stopped uh, bowing down to the things of the world, unless they served God fully, and stop their idolatry, they would be overtaken by the nations of the gods whom they served. And here's what you need to understand. They weren't worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's people were not worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not worshiping the one true God. They were worshiping the gods and the ways of the world of their enemies. And what had happened was... The, the very thing that they began to, uh, the gods, the, 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 the nation of the gods they served was the very nation that took them captive. It's the very nation of these false gods that they were worshiping were the ones that came in and crushed them and held them captive. And the same thing can happen in our life as well. We need to realize and understand that when we begin to worship other gods, when we begin to get our priorities out of whack, the very things we bow down to, the very things we worship, they become our master and we become their slave. We need to realize that when we turn our eyes off of God and we turn our heart in another direction towards the things of this world, world this world will become our master this world has the power to enslave us this world has the power to destroy us and devastate our lives we can't just think that this is just you know some simple little world that we live in this world's intention is to destroy us and deceive us and and woo us away from god and it's exactly what happened with the jewish people And God wants to teach us some things through this. What we need to understand in Jeremiah 20, verse 4, God spoke and said, this was during the time of their captivity, or this was before their captivity, rather. God spoke and he said to to Jeremiah, who was the prophet, who was to go speak to the people and be the voice for God in their life. And God speaks to Jeremiah, and I'm not going to get into a bunch of theology about Jeremiah, but Jeremiah always had to bring bad news. Jeremiah was the one that even complained to God, I'm the one that always has to bring the tough word. I'm the one that always has to bring bad news. I'm the, I'm the one that always has to talk about judgment. And, and, and he didn't like to have to do that, but sometimes God calls specific people for a specific season to speak the words that have to be spoken, whether they're different difficult or not. So the reality is sometimes even we have to hear difficult words in order to be, uh, make sure that we're in the right place with God. But this is what God speaks to Jeremiah. He tells Jeremiah to go to the Jewish people and he says, tell them, tell them that unless they stop worshiping other gods, unless they serve me fully, unless they get rid of all this idol worship, unless I become uh, their God, unless they love me with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, this is what will happen. The king of Babylon will take them captive to Babylon or he will run them through with the sword. If they don't do what I tell them to do, if they don't turn their heart towards me, He says, I will hand them over to their enemies, 
or I will hand over to their enemies all the wealth of this city, all of its products, all of its valuables, and all of the treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. You see, they were warned. They were told. Jeremiah spoke the words of the Lord into their life. They heard them, but they didn't do them. And this is, this is what God is trying to teach us, that when we don't do what God speaks into our life, there are consequences that take place. So they, all of the things that meant anything to them were carried off to Babylon because they didn't heed the voice of the Lord through Jeremiah. They became slaves to sin once again, and they were taken into bondage. And one of the things that we often forget, church, is that God is not a man that he would lie. When God speaks, God acts. When God promises, God fulfills. And what we need to remember and understand in, in our way of thinking, there are good promises God makes and there are bad promises God makes. They would be called blessings and they would be called curses. But the reality is whether God speaks a blessing, it's a promise. And whether God speaks a curse, it's a promise. And what we need to understand and what the, 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 the Jewish individuals failed to understand or at least failed to believe was that God was going to follow through on his promise. You see, some of us on the good side fail to believe that God's going to follow through on a promise. Some of us on the good side fail to believe that God is Jehovah Jireh and he's going to provide for all of our needs. Some of us uh, allow ourselves to walk by sight instead of faith and we fail to, to receive or believe the good promises that God has. But in the same way, so many of us fail to believe the bad promises God makes as well. We fail to believe that God's actually going to follow through on punishment, that, that God's actually going to follow through on discipline. We, we act like our kids do sometimes. I know mama said this and I know daddy said this and I, it's all just talk. They're not really going to do it. They're not really going to spank me. You know, they're going to count to three and then they're going to count to ten and then they're, you know, they're, they're not going to follow through on what they say they're going to do. I'm going to beat you into tomorrow and they don't believe what's being said into their life. And the, the Jewish people were the same way with God. They didn't believe what he said. He said, if you don't turn your heart towards me, you're going to end up in bondage. If you don't serve me with all of your heart, you're going to find yourself in a place you don't want to be. You're going to be slaves to the very sin, the sinful nations that you bowed down to. They didn't believe him or they just chose to disobey him. But the result was exactly the same. They were brought into bondage because when God speaks, God acts. I know we don't like to look at it this way, but God fulfills every promise that he will ever make, good or bad. And the same thing can happen in our lives as well. When we fail to be doers of the word, listen, when we yield ourselves to the idols and the gods of this world, the gods of pleasure and the gods of wealth and the gods of me and myself and I, when we yield ourselves to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all of the things this world has to offer us, church, the things that we yield to become our master and we become their slaves. The reality is when we yield ourselves over and over and over and over again to the things of this world, we will become slaves to those things. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why do you think we have things called alcoholism? Why do you think we have things called drug addiction? Why do you think we have things called pornographic addiction? Why do you think we have things called obesity? Why do you think we have all these addictions that we try to deal with as God's people? Because somewhere in our life... 
time after time after time after time, we yielded and yielded and yielded and yielded. And before you knew it, we became slaves to the very things we yielded to. And the Word of God reminds us, church, that you will be a slave to the things you serve. You will be a slave to the things you obey, or the things that you, you yield to. You will either be a slave to obedience, which will lead to righteousness, the Bible says, or you will be a slave to sin in the flesh, which will lead to unrighteousness and death. And so what we discover here is that the children, uh, the Jewish people, They were yielding themselves to the flesh, and because of it, they were brought into bondage. And the same exact thing will happen in our lives. We can become slaves to the very things we serve. Listen, it's exactly why God spoke to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16. He speaks these words after he brings the children of Israel out of bondage. He speaks these words after 400 years. Okay, think about it. 400 years enslaved by Pharaoh. 400 years. Generation after generation after generation. Living in bondage in Egypt. And he speaks these words after bringing them out of bondage. After delivering them from the hand of Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. And he says, be careful. And this is the very first thing God speaks to us when we come into a relationship with him. Be careful. Be careful. This is a dangerous world. Be careful. The devil's out there. Be careful that sin crouches at your door and its desire is to have you. Be careful of the the lion that roams about seeking to devour you. Be careful of the schemes of the enemy. Be careful of the devil's devices. Be careful of the work of the enemy. Be careful of temptation. Be careful of the things of this world. Be careful to guard your mind and your heart. Be careful, he says. Because you're walking on dangerous territory. But he goes on and he says, be careful. Because if you're not careful, if you're not careful about your spiritual condition, if you're not careful about your life, if you're not careful about your children, if you're not careful about your marriage, if you're not careful about your business and your job and your finances, if you're not careful about all of these things, you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And when you do, guess what happens? You'll end up in bondage. When you do, you'll end up in slavery. And guess what? It's exactly what they did. They weren't careful. They didn't watch. They didn't protect. They weren't careful. And they were enticed away from God by the things of this world. And what you and I have to remember on a daily basis is this world has the power to entice you. I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian. This world has the power to destroy you. It has the power to deceive you. It has the power to turn your eyes and your hearts away from the Father. It has the power to cause you to bow down and and yield yourself to its pleasures. And when we do, we end up in bondage. When we do, we end up away from God. And this is what happened then. It's what happens today. The truth is sin took Judah captive for 70 years. Not Babylon, not the king. Sin took Babylon captives for 70 years. Sin is what devastated their lives. Sin is what stripped them of everything that was important in their lives, including their freedom. One of the things we need to realize and and, and really pray about as Americans is some of the freedoms that we have, we are beginning to lose. We're beginning to lose. Why? Because of sin. 
because we have turned our heart towards the things of this world, because we as a once godly nation, uh, yeah, we have some godly people, we've got a lot of churches, but we have allowed ourselves to turn our hearts away from God to the things of this world. And I believe because of it, America is not as great as it used to be. No nation that is a godly nation that turns its eyes away from God ever remains the same. America's in deep, deep trouble right now, and we, as a nation, need to turn our hearts back to God, or all the freedoms that we think we have are going to be taken away. And that, that was just a side note. But for an entire generation, the people of, uh, of, of Israel, the, the people of Judah, they suffered for their sin. And what we need to remember, church, is that sin has consequences. What we need to remember is that sin... At whatever level it might be, there are consequences to sin. Look, it may not be 70 years worth of stuff that you and I have to go through because most of us only live for 70 years. But the reality is sin has consequences. It had consequences in their lives and it'll have consequences in our lives because God promises and God fulfills. He fulfills both the good and the bad. He fulfills both the blessings and the curses, church. And it's up to us which promises are fulfilled in our lives. It's up to you whether blessings are fulfilled in your life or curses are fulfilled in your life. It's up to me whether blessings are fulfilled and released into my life or curses are released into my life. Because one of the two will always be released because God's already spoken them, church. In Numbers, 20, or Numbers 32, 23, God said, be careful for your sins will find you out. Be careful, God said, because your sins at some time are going to catch up with you. You see, a lot of us have lived our lives. And, you know, I know a lot of us at a point in our life before we came to God thought we could outrun our sins. Amen. We thought we could always stay a step ahead of, of the consequences of our sin. We, we thought we could sin and run away and just leave our sins behind. And that's the way so many individuals live. I'll go sin in darkness. And I'll go sin in darkness and my deeds will stay in darkness and they'll never catch up with me. It's like, you know, the commercial out there. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. That's a lie. What happens in Vegas will follow you all the rest of your life. What happens in darkness will follow you every day of your life. It eventually will catch up with you no matter what you do in the dark. God says you do it in the darkness. I'm going to shout it from the rooftop. Our sins will find us out, the Bible said. Listen, you've watched the news, you know, and this isn't to condemn them and drive them down, but there's a man named Tiger Woods who was on top of the world. You would have thought everything was A-OK in his life, but there were some dirty deeds going on in the dark, and there was no amount of money, no amount of popularity that could outrun the consequences of his sin. And there's no amount of money, no amount of time, there's no amount of effort, power, or prestige that can keep your sins from catching up to you. It has been spoken by God and ordained by God. And the reality is, if sin doesn't catch up with you here, it's going to catch up with you there. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every mouth will have to confess before the Lord. And see, this is why God is speaking these things into our lives because there is a life that we can, there is a life that we must live that will allow us to stand with great joy before the Lord, not having to worry about judgment. So we've got to watch how we live today. 
We've got to live in such a way that we're storing up treasures instead of condemnation. And there are a lot of individuals whose whole life, they're just heaping up judgment. They're heaping up condemnation. They're heaping up damnation upon their lives because they think they can run away from their sin. Sin will always find us out. And there are consequences to our sin. There's consequences to our disobedience at every level. At every level. I don't care if you tell a little white liar, if you go cheat on your spouse, there is a consequence to both of those sins, both of them. That's exactly why God said, be careful, be careful how you live, be careful what you say, be careful what you do, be careful where you go, be careful who you hang with, because your sins are going to find you out. And when they do, they're going to hold you captive. They're going to bind you up and tie you down and take away every bit of freedom that you have in your life. They're going to take away every precious thing that you have, church. This is what the Bible said. Everything they had was carried away into bondage. This is what we've got to understand. During the time of Judah's captivity, during the 70 years that they were uh, slaves to Babylon... During this time of difficult discipline that God was allowing them to go through, in 2 Chronicles 36, 19, we read this happened. Then the Babylonians burned the house of God. They broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces with fire and destroyed all of its precious things. The reality is the consequences of their sin caught up with them and it destroyed their lives While they were in bondage themselves, everything precious to them was destroyed. While they were in bondage in Babylon, everything in Jerusalem, in the city of God, everything precious to their life was destroyed. And what you and I need to understand is that when sin grabs a hold of our life, when sin takes us captive, when we yield to sin, it does more than destroy just us. It destroys everything precious in our life. It destroys everything of value that you and I have worked for or prayed for or striven for. It destroys our life and it destroys everything precious. The house of God was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The walls were ripped down. The gates were taken off their hinges. Everything precious, the Bible says. Think about something precious in your life. Think about it just for a second. What's precious to you? Sin can take it away. Sin can destroy it just like that in an instant, in a moment. Think of all the precious things that that, that Tyra Woods held dear. It was all destroyed in a second, in a moment because of the sin, the consequences that caught up with them. And the same thing happens in our life. That's why we must be careful. Because in a moment, everything precious, church, can be taken away. In a moment, sin can destroy everything that means anything to us. So here's what we have to understand. That's the power of sin. It destroys everything precious to us. Sin will destroy marriages. Sin will destroy families. Sin will destroy your sons and your daughters, my sons, my daughters. Sin has the power to destroy minds. Sin has the power to destroy businesses. Sin has the power to destroy anything precious to us. But ultimately, sin has the power to destroy our relationship with God. 
It has the power to destroy our, uh, the relationship we have with our Father, which is in heaven. Above everything else, the thing that should grieve us the most about the power of sin is the fact that it has the power to destroy our relationship with God. And this is what happened with the Jewish people. Everything precious and the relationship with God was destroyed because of sin. And the series that we're going to go into is the restoration of these people. The story that we're going to go into is the good news, how God's mercy and God's grace entered back in and began to restore his people. How many of you are thankful for mercy and thankful for grace? How many of you are thankful that God will let us go through a season, but he'll bring us back out and he'll restore us to a right relationship with God? Nowhere in scripture, every time God brought judgment, uh, every time he brought a hard word, there was always hope attached to it. Because he always wanted to bring his people back into a relationship with him. And in his mercy and in his grace, God promised that after 70 years of captivity, he would free the Jews. He told them that after 70 difficult years, I'm going to bring you back out. After 70 difficult years, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back to your home. And God just did that. Did just that. He, he delivered the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh. And here he delivers them from the hand of the king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he begins to bring them back. Because when he speaks, he acts. When he promises, he fulfills. And what we discover in this series, before we even get to Nehemiah, is that at the appointed time, because how many of you know nothing happens by chance, nothing happens by coincidence, at the appointed time, the Word of God tells us, even Ecclesiastes, that there's an appointed time for everything. God, God doesn't make mistakes when he, when he orders things in our life. God is a God of order and he doesn't do things haphazardly. There was an appointed time. In 70 years, God said, I'm going to set you free. And no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what difficulties you might be going through, I want you to know that there is an appointed time where God's going to bring you out. There's an appointed time where God's going to bring you through. There's an appointed time where the sun is going to begin to shine. There's an appointed time where the son or the daughter is going to come home. There's an appointed time where the marriage is going to be restored. There's an appointed time that God has for his blessings and his good promises to be fulfilled in our lives. And what we've got to do, what we've got to learn to do is is until that appointed time comes, we've got to be still and know that He is God. We've got to be still and know that the promises of God are yes and amen to those who believe. It might take one day. It might take one month. It might take one year. It might take one decade. But God's promises will be fulfilled in our lives. And we've got to learn how to be still and know that He is God. That he's got it all under control. No matter how bad the odds might seem uh, set against us, God's going to come through. And he's going to set us free. Amen? So the Jews were set free. After 70 years, the Jews were now set free uh, to go back to Jerusalem. And the king actually, when he released them to go, uh, they actually were set free to to, to build and do whatever they, that they wanted to do when they got back to Jerusalem. The order was to set them free, and there was actually an order to rebuild the temple as well. God even provided the funds for the temple project to begin. You see, when God appoints something and God orders something, He does it fully. 
When God tells you to do something, he's going to give you everything you need to do it. God didn't just set them free. God set them free to go do something. He set them free to go restore the temple. He set them free to go work and to go build. But he didn't just say go build the temple. He gave them what they needed to start the project. He might not have given them all of it. But he gave them what they needed to get started. He gave them what they needed, and God will do the same thing with you. When he tells you to do something, he's going to give you what you need to follow through with it. Amen? But what we discover in this series, or leading up to actually the series, what we discover is that the temple wasn't built overnight. They were set free. They had the funds. They went back to Jerusalem, and the temple work began, but it wasn't completed overnight. It wasn't completed in a year. It wasn't completed in five years or ten years. Actually, it took almost 80 years for the temple to be rebuilt. The fact is, it would take many decades to uh, restore the Jewish nation and to rebuild the temple. And in the rebuilding process, there were hurdles that they had to get over. There was opposition. There were opposing forces. The enemy came in. The, the devil tried to do everything that he could to keep the temple from re- being rebuilt. But my point is, God's promise isn't always overnight. We need to realize we live in such an instant society where we want everything yesterday. But we need to come to the place where we realize that, that restoration takes time. That rebuilding takes time. That spiritual maturity takes time. For us to become like Jesus Christ takes time. Paul said, I sanctify myself daily. He he understood that it is a daily process in order to become like Christ and to become uh, like Jesus. And the same thing happens with us. Rebuilding church takes time. It takes, it took patience for them to rebuild the temple. It took prayer. It took courage. It took faith. And it took work. You see, so often we, we want God to do it all. We want God to come in and we want God to do it all. But the reality is, for the, for the Jewish people and for us, it's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take some faith because the, the, the rebuilding process in our life is going to be a difficult thing. The rebuilding process in a marriage isn't going to happen overnight. If it took 10 years to mess up your marriage, it's not going to change in 10 days. You understand what I'm saying is there is a rebuilding process that has to take place before you find restoration. But we want it just like this. We want it overnight. God, you better answer me right now. And if he doesn't answer us right now, what do we do? We go back to our old ways. We give up on God. We throw in the towel and we begin to worship the things of the world again because God didn't respond to my request. You see, God wants to know how serious you are. Sometimes God wants to know how dedicated you are. Sometimes God wants to know how much you love Him. Sometimes God wants to know how much you're willing to serve Him. God, sometimes God wants to know if you're willing to go the extra mile. Sometimes it takes time because God wants to know how serious you and I are. If He answered every prayer that we had just like that, we wouldn't be spiritual at all. We'd be little babies and little infants. You see, it's the baby and the infant that says, I want it now! That's what the baby cries for all the time. And if they don't get what they want when they want it, they have a little fit. And we as Christians do the same exact thing. But God is trying to teach us what it means to be spiritually mature. God is trying to teach us what it means to experience spiritual restoration in our life. It takes time. It takes faith. And it takes patience. And it takes prayer. But finally, the temple was rebuilt. Amen? 
The reality is, as you try to, to build yourself up in the most high faith, the reality is, as you try to, to become more like Jesus Christ, the reality is, the more you yield yourself to Christ, the more the devil's going to come in. The reality is, the more you say, God, I love you, the more you worship, the more you praise, the more you, the more you give to God, the more the devil's going to move in. Because the last thing he wants is for your life to be restored. The last thing he wants is for your life to be built up. The last thing he wants is for God's blessings to come into your life. You know what he wants your life to be? In ruins. It's exactly what the devil wants. He wants your life to be in ruins. He wants your life to be broken down and busted down. He wants your life to be filled with heartache and filled with all kinds of junk and mess. The Bible tells us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only thing he wants to do is destroy your life. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the reality is, when we go through this study, we're going to realize that Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, teaches us how we can have that life. It teaches us how we can experience that abundant life that God has in store for us. And I'll begin the the series actually next week in in detail. But this is the foundation that I want to lay for you. What, What we have to realize is that it doesn't happen overnight. We've got to do the work. Here's what I want you to remember. God set the the Jewish people free. God gave them favor. God moved on their behalf. God spoke to certain hearts. God moved on certain souls in order to bring their freedom to pass. God even provided the money and the material they needed to rebuild. But the people had to do the work. God didn't ship it all over to Jerusalem and then just magically build the temple all on his own. We have to do the work. You and I have to understand that there is work involved in becoming a a mature Christian. We can't just sit around and say, KK, God, you do it. Listen, there's some praying that has to take place. There's some reading that has to take place. There's some getting up early in the morning and going to church that has to take place. There's some serving that has to take place. There's some ladies' Bible studies that have to be gone to. There's some Monday night men's classes that have to be gone to. There's some Sunday school classes you might have to attend. It takes work. But when you're when you are willing to do the work, God then begins to pour blessings into our lives. And this is what he was trying to teach the people that there was work that needed to be done. However, where this series takes us is to the fact that even with the temple completed, the people were still vulnerable to enemy attacks. Even with the temple completed, and here's what I want you to understand as I begin to to bring this to a close. Even with the temple completed, the temple was complete. Worship, here's what I want you to understand. Worship was taking place in the temple. The temple was completely constructed. The priests were serving. The word was being read. Sacrifices were being made. The altars were set up. The, the candle, the, the lampstand was in its place, and the showbread was in its place, and the veil was where it needed to be. The temple was completely completed. Sacrifices were being made. But due to the fact that the city walls and the gates were still in ruin, due to the fact that the city walls had not been rebuilt, due to the fact that the city gates had not been restored, guess what was happening? The enemy kept coming in. 
The enemy kept invading. The enemy kept being a nuisance. The enemy kept them, church, from the abundance that God had promised in their life. And this is where so many of us are today. So many of us are at this point where we've built a church life and nothing else. So many of us built a temple life and nothing else. So many of us have come to this place where we think church is enough to keep me safe. Church is enough to get me to heaven. Church is enough to make my marriage strong. Church is enough to keep me from sin. Church is enough to keep me protected. Church is enough to have all the blessings. Listen, yes, you are supposed to come to church, but church is not enough to keep you safe. Church is not enough to protect your marriage. Church is not enough to protect your mind. Church is not enough to protect your sons and your daughters and your businesses and your income. It's not enough. There's a personal responsibility that has to take place in our life. Church is not enough to get you to heaven. Yes, it's part of the spiritual growth process, but it's not enough to keep you secure. There's so many people that think if I can just come to church once a week, everything's okay in my life. But they still, and they come, but they can't figure out why their marriage is still a mess. They can't figure out why their sons and their daughters are wandering and doing the things that they are. They can't understand why temptation still overtakes them. Why? Because the walls of their life are broken down. Because the gates are not put in place. And the enemy keeps coming in. You see, what you and I need to realize is that there are gates and walls to our lives that have to be erected. There are gates that the enemy uses to come into your life. Understand the things that you look at, that's a gate. I want you to understand that it is a gate to your life. The things you read is a gate to your life. The people that you hang around with, it's a gate to your life. And it's through those gates that the devil can come in and bring devastation into your life. Oh, but I'm going to church. Oh, but I'm listening to the pastor. Oh, but I'm, I'm in the choir. Oh, I, 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 I'm going to the temple. Understand what I'm saying. The reality is the temple was complete. It was done. Everything churchy was taking place. But lives were still being devastated. Lives were still being destroyed because the people didn't take personal responsibility they weren't willing to examine the gates of the city. And we're at that point, and that's where we are in our lives. We've got to examine the gates of our life. We've got to examine the walls that surround us and figure out where it is that the enemy's coming in and then do something about it. Here's what I want to close with, because I know that we're running out of time. The fact is... That in order for us to, to find protection, in order for us to, to find protection for our marriage and find protection for our family and find protection for our finances and all of those things, there are some walls and gates that have to be built in our life. There are some walls and gates that have to be destroyed because the reality is in every one of our lives, I don't care how long you've been saved, in every one of our lives, there are some gates that are tattered. There are some walls that have been chipped away at and, and the enemy can get in. And so what we have to be willing to do is what Nehemiah did. There, there's, there's a few things that Nehemiah did, uh, and I don't have a whole lot of time to get into it, but one of the things that I want us to look at this evening, right before I close, is the fact that before Nehemiah started this rebuilding process, before Nehemiah picked up one hammer, before Nehemiah picked up one stone, before Nehemiah appointed anyone to do any work, the Bible says he prayed. 
He prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. So before you begin to do any work in your life, you better pray about it. Before you make a decision in your life, you better pray about it. Before you take on a task, before you enter into a relationship, before you take a job, before you start a friendship, you better pray about it. Before you enter into any endeavor, before you enter into a contract or a deal, before you take on some kind of task, you better pray about it. Because if you don't pray about it, you're going to find yourself in a mess. What you need to understand is that prayer paved the way for Nehemiah. And because he prayed, because he committed it to the Lord, he found success. It wasn't overnight success, but it was success. The next thing that you need to realize about Nehemiah was the fact that before he started any work, he took a three-day trip around the city walls. He got on his horse, he got on his animal, and he began a personal inspection of the city. The Bible tells us that he didn't tell anyone what he was doing, but he just took a ride around the city. It took him three days to look at the wall, to examine its defects, to look at all of the gates, to find out where the weak areas were. And what you and I need to understand and what you and I need to do, if we want to find spiritual security in our life, if we want any kind of spiritual restoration, we got to walk around our city walls. We got to walk around our marriage and find out where the weak spots are. We got to walk around our sons and daughters and see where the enemy's coming in. We got to walk around our businesses and we got to walk around our finances. We got to get on our mule and we got to take a walk and take a personal examination of our spiritual condition and find out where the devil's coming in. You see, the reality is so many churchgoers have yet to take a walk around their life. So many individuals that are having problems left and right have yet to take a walk around their marriage and figure out why it's all messed up. They haven't taken a walk around their son or daughter and figured out that the devil's coming in through the music or the devil's coming in through a friend or the devil's coming in through this. We got to take a walk around our city and figure out where the devil's coming in. The church has to start walking around the city and figure out where the devil's coming in. Because until we do, we're going to be devastated. Until we do, we're going to be destroyed. Until we do, our life will remain in ruin. So what God is saying, before I even talk about one gate, before I even talk about one wall, before I even begin the process, the first thing God asks is, how many of you are willing to walk around this city? How many of you, and if that's you tonight, that's how we're closing. I want you to stand up tonight because you're saying, God, I want some spiritual restoration in my life, but I know it starts with me walking around the city. You gotta do it yourself. You gotta do it yourself. Nehemiah realized if I'm gonna build this wall, I gotta do it myself. I'm not gonna put it off on the pastor. I'm not gonna put it off on the staff. I'm not gonna put it off on my husband or my wife. I'm gonna walk around that city myself and figure out what needs to be done. And when we do, church, when we find out what needs to be done, then we got to do the work. And this is what we're going to look at in the next few weeks, what the work entailed, what the work involved. But tonight we're saying, God, I'm going to walk around my city. God, I'm going to walk around my marriage. I'm going to... And listen, I want you to seriously grasp what I'm saying tonight. You're going to have to go home and you're going to have to figure out where the weak areas are in your marriage and where the weak areas are in your family life and your finances. 
and do something about it. Become a doer of the word or your life is going to remain in ruin. Father God, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you, Father God, for this series that you've put upon my heart. And I know that this was just an introduction, Father God. I pray that it wasn't too teachy. I pray, Father God, that I was able to communicate some truths and lay a foundation for where we're going, Father God. But tonight, this is my prayer, that you would raise up some Nehemiahs in this house. That you would raise up some individuals, God, that are willing to take personal responsibility for their spiritual condition. That they would stop playing games. That they would stop putting it off on someone else. That they would stop putting their hope in some house made by hands. But God, that they would take a walk around their lives. That they would walk around their marriage and they would walk around their sons and daughters. That they would walk around their finances and their families. That they would take a walk, Father God, around their life and figure out where it is that the devil's coming in. And then I pray, God, that they would have the courage to do the work, that they would have the courage to rise up against any opposition, to rise up against the enemy, to rise up against all the naysayers that's saying they're wasting their time and they can't do it. I pray, God, that you would just cause us to rise up and be rebuilders of broken walls and broken lives, that we would be willing, Father God, to do the work that's needed to be done, that we wouldn't wait for anyone else but that we would do it ourselves so that God, when people look at South Metro Ministries, we would be a place of safety. We would be a place of security. We would be a place where people could come and find safety and security from the world and from the enemy. And I don't just pray for the church, uh, the church building. I pray for the church, the people, that every single one of us, God, would be able to secure our lives with rebuilt walls and rebuilt gates and the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. I give you the praise and I give you the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Amen. I encourage you as best as you can to make it to all of the series that we have on this. I really believe that God has ordered